0: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show, will be talking holiday movies, uh, more Open Cup drama, the best of 2023, a U.S. soccer Christmas dinner, soccer czar, soccer passion purity test, and so much more. But first joining me is always my friend, my colleague, my guiding lights, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire! Mossy, how you doing on this Wednesday, December 20th in the year 2023? Ho, 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 my friend.
1: Uh, I'm doing well. I come to you again from uh, Fort Lauderdale. I will warn you, today was a step back weather-wise. I know you're headed my way uh, tomorrow. Very windy today. Uh, too windy to go to the beach or the pool. So we went to the NSU Art Museum here in Fort Lauderdale, which was terrific.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I will be heading out to uh, Florida tomorrow and uh, for the uh, for the holidays. Can't wait to be there. I, I look at wind. I'll, I'll deal with some wind. It's the rain and the uh, the cold, which we don't have any of that. Um, as you can see, well, if, for those of you that do watch the show, and we do hope that you watch it, whether it's on YouTube or, or Spotify or any other video ways that you get the uh, show, you will see that I am head to toe now. I've, I've slowly crept up adding more and more uh, to my costume here. Uh, I am now in full Santa regalia. I love this time of year. It is the most wonderful time uh, of the year. Mossy, as he said, over is over there in uh, in Florida. Uh, other than going to the museums, have you seen anything or uh, read anything interesting for the folks?
1: Couple things. I did finish the Crown, which although it did not bring me to tears like it did uh, your lovely <laughs> wife, I will say it was a very poignant ending. Uh, I thought it was well done. Uh, secondly. I finished that uh, Murder in Boston documentary. It's a three-part documentary airing on HBO. There's also a nine-part podcast accompanying it, which I also finished, uh, and I highly recommend it. Uh, It's about the famous Charles Stewart case, 1989. It's riveting, but very disturbing and upsetting at the same time. Uh, I think you'll definitely be interested if you watch.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. You know what? I've I've seen a lot of advertisements for it. The, the marketing behind it is robust, shall we say? Because I, I was just on the uh, what's it one hundred and five or something like that, and there was a huge, huge billboard for it. And as as you know, so now it's done. All the three episodes are done, and I can binge it now. Perfect. Correct. All right. Perfect. Well, that's uh, that's what I'm going to do. Um, what did I see? I watched something called Sometimes When We Touch. It's over there on the uh, Paramount Plus platform over there, and it is basically. It charts, it charts the arc of Yacht Rock. Do you know what Yacht Rock is, Mossy? Uh, vaguely. Uh, vaguely. Well, I mean, I, I grew up listening to this type of music. I have an incredible love and fondness and respect for the musicians, uh, the writing, the performing, the recording, the production, all that kind of stuff. And it charts this crazy arc that it took where it was du jour and incredibly popular and then took a huge, huge dive and plummet and then the resurrection, if you will, of Yacht Rock, where uh, a whole new generation has been inter- introduced to it. And I just thought it was, uh, it was wonderful and fun to see how that arc happened. So I recommend that. It's uh, called Sometimes When We Touch. Um, listen, uh, I-, I wanted to say uh, also about my, my costume here, Masi. You- you've been to costume parties, right?
1: Sure.
0: So I was- the reason why I have this costume is, uh, you know, I came home one day and in my office there was this package. And it had been kind of like freeze dried. And I didn't know what it was. And I open it and it kind of explodes into this mess of Santa wear, right? And my wife explained to me, hey, we're going to a party. It's a costume party. And the costume is dress as your favorite Christmas character or holiday character, if you will. And so this was all she thought that I was going to do. Had I known about that ahead of time, I actually would have put some thought in it because we went to this party. It was a blast. It was a great party. Everybody was dressed up. Um, There were multiple John McClains from Die Hard. Because you could dress anything that had kind of Christmas-related, I guess. Um, Eddie Johnson, the the guy from Christmas Vacation. Yukon Cornelius, a bunch of Yukon Corneliuses. And now I got hair in my mouth. My goodness. And even a prime minister from Love Actually. So there was a real incredible spectrum. Um, All right, enough about that. Should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right, where should we start?
1: Uh, Some developments in the MLS U.S. Open Cup story, which we discussed on our last podcast. You might recall MLS announced that they intended to have their clubs field reserve sides in the 2024 U.S. Open Cup, but they needed approval from U.S. Soccer to do that, and U.S. Soccer has rejected that request. Uh, Don Garber released a statement in reaction to that, saying that he's still concerned about fixture congestion. He still thinks the Open Cup can be useful in terms of developing young players, which would benefit U.S. soccer in the long run. And so he's hopeful they can come to some sort of solution. Uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Oh my goodness! All right, so now we're going back and forth, and we're having battling um, press releases. If if you know if in a war, you know, the wars that we talk about, these press releases going back and forth again. I find I find this I find this incredibly silly. I find this incredibly tedious. And you know, not that not that standing on principle or you know believing and fighting for something you believe in when it comes to tradition shouldn't be done. But I I keep looking at this mossy in terms of what's coming down the pike and barreling down the pike and that is 2026. And I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, maybe some things to do going forward, but You know, if if I had a Christmas wish out there, it's that American soccer could, to the extent that they can, put away some of this crap and this baggage that we carry around and stop whatever we're doing and stop creating new problems. And so, again, I think that this is like a, a needless and pointless and ultimately damaging and, and like I said, exhausting type of thing to have happen that they are, that they are going through. How does this get solved? We talk, talked before about, you know, potentially the, the legal part and lawyers getting involved, which doesn't help anybody and only costs money. The lawyers are the only ones that ultimately make, uh, make that money. And money, by the way, that could be going into helping, whether it's U.S. soccer uh, or whether it's, uh, whether it's major, league, major League soccer. I will say that, and I mentioned this in the previous episode, that for, for JT Batson, who is the CEO of U.S. Soccer. This was a kind of inflection point. This was a moment where people were kind of looking at him and saying, you know, what are you going to do on behalf of U.S. Soccer? And so this is this is kind of a stance. And in that sense, I think that this was a good look for the United States Soccer Federation to push back, not to completely blow back, but to push back. And, you know, the the competing interests that MLS have and US soccer have that's that's okay that's going to happen um but they ultimately need each other and they're going to have to find a way to work with each other going forward and this this US Open Cup hill that people seem to believe is worth dying on i i, I don't know if it is i think this is all going to get worked out eventually and and you know the the conspiracy theorist in me or out there, maybe will look at this and say, hey, this is all a tinfoil type of new Coke, you know, uh, strategy, you know, to rile up a bunch of people uh, around an issue that, let's be honest, only a few days ago, very few cared about. And to appeal to that romance and to that emotion and to that tradition. And then in doing so to kind of bring in this newfound attention and interest that you can then leverage into, you know, maybe something that's improved in terms of the uh, the situation. But, you know, this, this doesn't say Christmas, Mossy. This doesn't say the festive spirit, does it?
1: Yeah, the only thing I'll say is we all intuitively understand that what's best for MLS's bottom line is not always what's best for the overall growth of soccer in this country. But it's still interesting to see MLS and U.S. soccer go head-to-head to this degree.
0: I also will say that you know, while this is being shaped and formed around the U.S. Open Cup situation, you know all of this U.S. Open Cup pearl clutching that is that is happening now, and all this drama. It, it's really not about the Open Cup. It's really not concerned about the Open Cup because I get that there's a mo, there's a lot of people out there that ultimately they just want MLS in it out of out of principle, you know. And if you put eleven human beings. Just with the brand of the first team in MLS, that's ultimately a win. That's ultimately what they want. But that doesn't necessarily help the competition or the value uh, on the field or the quality on the field. So this ends up to me feeling much more about an opportunity to stick it to the man and standing up to the elites and a a power struggle and class warfare. And I get it. I'm, I'm human just like anybody else. We see it in all walks of life. There's an endorphin type of rush that comes. From doing this, and you know this righteous type of performance, sometimes performance art that is out out there. It's a story as old as time, and so the, the motives or the ulterior motives of many out there when it comes to this, um, I tend st- I tend to think about and to question. But like I said, I think that this is ultimately going to be uh, going to be sorted out, and MLS is going to say that they are. In compliance with whatever laws and regulations and rules and contracts that they have signed, in that they are still, they still want to represent MLS in the Open Cup. The question is are they able to have MLS Next Pro be that representation from MLS to the Open Cup and fulfill that requirement that for Division I sanctioned? Requires and Division Three sanction, which is what the MLS uh, next uh, division is, if they're able to do that going forward. How do you think ultimately this gets resolved, Mossy? Where, if in your crystal ball,
1: I think MLS blinks and they end up fielding their first team squads.
0: And so, when we get right back to it, it's just about participation, right? It's about the principle of participation because you know as well as I do that there are plenty of MLS teams that don't want to do this and don't want their teams. And so they're going to just throw out whatever it is. And actually in the hopes that they don't go forward because it's more time it's. And, and again, the economics of this are where MLS is going to say, why should we be involved in something like this? And again, there's an argument that from an altruistic perspective, a charity perspective, this is what's good for the game. We've talked about this before. MLS as a business, is going to do what is good for MLS and not necessarily the good of the game. I do think, Mossy, that this, this should raise questions and put more stress and, pre- and pressure on the United States Soccer Federation to make if this is going to continue on, this Open Cup is going to continue on. How are you going to make it relevant? How are you going to make fans care, broadcasters care, and I guess most importantly, how are you going to make the teams care that this is something that they want to be involved uh, evolve, uh, with. And when I say teams, it's MLS teams because they only have something to lose. The cup set phenomenon that we all associate with cups is wonderful. It's romantic. It's traditional. Okay? But here's the problem, Aussie: When an MLS team loses in their open cup, it's then used as a proxy. It's then used to say... MLS sucks, or MLS isn't as good as X, Y, and Z, all right? When an EPL team loses, it's a cup set, it's a Cinderella story, but nobody ever questions the quality of that EPL team or of the EPL in general. And that's what I think MLS is guarding against. Now, let's say they don't care about the results and the competition, and it's not about a fear out of this, but the reality is they have much more to lose than anybody else in the tournament, and much more to lose relative to other big teams and big leagues around the world that participate in Open Cups. So when you do that, compare and contrast, it's not always equal.
1: Uh, we have an Ask Alexi question about Rel, so we can revisit some of this.
0: Uh, Ooh, nice. There. But good, good, good. We do have
1: a couple of other MLS news items to hit. Uh, the New England Revolution have appointed Caleb Porter as their new head coach. Ah, uh, Caleb Porter, one of three coaches in MLS history to win MLS Cup at two different clubs. The others being Ziggy Schmidt and Bruce Arena, who's essentially the person that Porter is replacing.
0: I've been eating my beard here, so I'm going to have to pull it down here. I hope I'm not scaring any of the kids out there, but this is <laughs> for those that ever watched the movie Trading uh, uh, Trading Trading Places, right? Um, Eddie Murphy. And uh, Dan Aykroyd, this is Dan Aykroyd's character. I should have salmon all over this beard. That's a really obscure reference out there, but there's some older people out there that listen to the show. Um, so uh, Caleb Porter, welcome back. I mean, Caleb Porter, it, the knock on Caleb Porter is that he's really good for a couple of years and then there's a vast drop-off. But, you know, if this is going to New England for a couple of years, and who knows, maybe he can buck that trend and it can, it can last longer. I'm in I'm interested to see what Caleb Porter, like any young coach, and this is a young coach who had incredible fanfare and incredible success, what that coach is growing into and what that coach now does, anything different? Well, how is he or she evolved given just, let's well, be honest, just time? And do they think about the mistakes that they made? I, I would think that they do, but how does that manifest? And what do they look like going forward and how are they? Uh, how are they different? I think it's a great opportunity for Caleb Porter because I think he's got a good team, not a great team, but his job is to coach him up and to make them great and to kind of have this team live up to, you know, the the potential that I think Bruce Serena saw before he was let go. By the way, I'm maybe even more interested in, ultimately in the landing place of Bruce Serena. No, I know I am than, uh, than Caleb Porter. But I think on the whole... This is a solid hire. Is it sexy? Not necessarily. Is it, you know, something that's going to move the needle in terms of media in the uh, New England market or anything? Not necessarily, but he's a good, solid coach. And I think he will, like all young coaches and all coaches in general, will have learned from his time off. And I'm just interested to see him back. And I think I, I think the New England faithful will look at it as, all right, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's not the best thing in the
1: and I should say, his MLS Cup titles 2015 with Portland and 2020 with Columbus. We were there for that. Uh, Inter Miami, the team a lot of people think is a favorite to win next year's MLS Cup uh, now that they have Messi for a full season and Luis Suarez arriving. The MLS schedule for next season came out today, and Inter Miami will kick off the campaign against RSL at Think Stadium on February 21, which is a very early start for an MLS season. We also have asked Ask Alexi question about the MLS calendar. And boy, it's right around the corner.
0: It is right around the corner. Um, you know, so when I think back to back in the day and, gosh, back even in the previous century when there were much fewer teams, well, we, d- we definitely didn't start that early. And, you know, we, a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of years ago, they kind of pushed it back. From a selfish perspective, the, the sooner the better. The sooner that I get more soccer, and and in the form of MLS, the happier that I am. Uh, I want to see it. In this case, obviously, the, you know the uh, the first full season that we are going to see Messi. And this Inter Miami, this new Inter Miami team, even very, you know, drastically different than what it looked like last year. So this is a great opportunity for us to uh, to see that. You're down there; should be some pretty nice weather down there, so we don't have to worry about the weather when it comes to uh, starting that early if they're playing in uh, in southern venues uh, going forward. But you know, now now it's going to be interesting because it was such a a novel type of thing to see Messi and Inter Miami last year, and it almost wasn't even a season because well it wasn't a season in terms of the time he was there but there was just this out uh, outer limits outer world type of experience of seeing it and now from start to finish with tata and with uh, with messi and all the new players that are that are becoming in i'm here for it i think i read that they're their their farthest trip uh, in terms of cascadia into miami and when we say into miami the reason why anybody cares about where into miami goes obviously is because Messi and what that means. But I think they're going to play against uh, Vancouver at some point. So uh, up in Cascadia, which could be a record crowd up there. So the Great White North is going to get a little messy. love going forward.
1: You know, Messi bought a waterfront mansion here in Fort Lauderdale. There's a water taxi ride where they point out all the celebrity homes. I wonder if Messi's has now been incorporated into that tour.
0: I would hope so. If they're doing it right, I mean, come on. Yeah. All right. What All else? Right, we we got?
1: head to Europe, uh, where we've had some midweek action the last couple of days. We begin in Germany. Uh, Borussia Dortmund closed out 2023 with a 1-1 home draw against Lowly Minds. You might recall it was a 2-2 home draw against Minds in the last round of last season that cost them the title. Giorena came on for the last uh, 20 minutes or so of this one. Looked pretty good. A lot of US fans on Twitter framing this as potentially his last Dortmund performance. The Bundesliga doesn't return until mid-January and they think he might be gone
0: before then. I mean, well, if this is his last appearance, I think think in general you can say that this was a successful stint and campaign for for Gio Reyna at Dortmund. Um, Now, relative to plenty of other young players, and we've talked about the pathway... And the traditional pathway that many have taken, no. But, you know, keep in mind that this was a very young player who came as a very young player. Not only got the experience playing, but developed and grew into this team. And still, despite the, uh, the stops and starts, is still looked at, I think, as one of the, you know, the great young talents that is out there. Now, that talent hasn't been realized to the extent that I or you or him or anybody else want it to. And who knows whose fault that is ultimately, but it just hasn't gone that way. So if this is the last time that we see Gio Reyna playing for uh, for Dortmund, I think he still would have used that platform that is Dortmund to put himself in a better position and to put himself in a better shop window uh, than other places. But you know, this is not going from a Dortmund perspective, especially internally. I don't think that they're going to look at it and say, "Hey, this was." You know, this was a template. This was awesome in terms of the way that this went.
1: You know, Bayern beat uh, Wolfsburg today and Harry Kane scored again. I was thinking about Kane today because he's coming from England where this holiday period is the busiest period of the season where they ram in all these games. And now he goes to Germany where he gets a three-week
0: break. That must be nice. So, Mossy, let me ask you something. Why do you think that England plays through the uh, festive period, right? That's what they call it over there? Oh, it's tradition,
1: boxing day. You know how they are with tradition over
0: there. You really think that it's about tradition? Yes. Okay. You don't think it's about <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it's about money? How dare you. How dare you. I Is that that that's good. I mean I all I hear is, oh, congestion and all that. And by the way, US soccer uh or MLS talked about congestion. You know, and and, and so that's all I hear is this concern for players too many games and all this kind of stuff well if you really were so concerned about players then you wouldn't be playing you'd take a break but if all those players want to make that big money and want to make more of that big money then you got to crank out the games but in germany i think just from a practical standpoint with the weather that they have over there they recognize that this is just not something that is feasible and now i guess their tradition is, is to have that time off, the six weeks off, or what do they have?
1: Uh, speaking of England, uh, the League Cup quarterfinals took place the last couple of days. Everton-Fulham won one, then Fulham advanced on penalties. Anthony Robinson involved in the Fulham goal. It was his cross that Michael Keane turned into his own net for an own goal. And then Robinson converted his penalty in the shootout, so he continues to play well and helps the cottagers advance.
0: Great year, great year for uh, for Jedi. We're going to talk a little bit more about Americans and the years that they had, either up or down, later on in the in the show. But that's you know that, that was that was wonderful and that was fun. Again, when I'm watching these games and it gets to you know extra time because I don't have a, ra- a horse in the race, I'm rooting for it to go. To penalties that's that's what i want to see i don't a goal unless i unless it's my team a goal in the in the extra 30 minutes means means nothing to me as soon as that whistle blows to start the first 15 minutes I'm, I'm saying let's get to the penalties and we were able to see some uh some penalty kicks in the in this thing so i was satisfied as a neutral uh
1: incidentally the the last four in the league cup uh fulham middlesbrough chelsea and liverpool The semifinal draw is taking place as we speak, so perhaps Sean Sullivan can search those matchups and let us know before this uh, podcast taping is done. Uh, Speaking of Liverpool, they are involved in the big Premier League match of the weekend. They will host Arsenal, Liverpool in second place, one point behind the Gunners who are atop the table.
0: Okay, so this is uh, Liverpool hosting Arsenal. Number two versus number one. Ah. We've talked about how, I mean, if to the extent that Liverpool can be sneaky, how sneaky Liverpool has been this year, this would be the ultimate sneak, right? But I'm going to go with it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling Liverpool. I'm feeling Klopp. I'm feeling them over Arsenal. What about you?
1: Yeah, I like Liverpool in this game. There has been an interesting debate as to which one of these two teams is the bigger threat to city this season. If city were to slip up, which one of these two would then win the title? So this game might go some way towards uh, determining that.
0: It will also be interesting to see what Anfield looks like, or I guess sounds like a lot of talk about what it is, what it isn't. And, you know, I'm going to talk a little later in the pod about, you know, <laughs> gauging passion out there and what it is and, and ultimately what it, what it isn't. But the environments that we often look to and point to as, you know, the 12th man or, you know, very, very difficult types of environments. As the game has progressed and changed, some of those environments have uh, have changed too. And sometimes you know, even you know, fan groups or stadiums or even cities get called out. So we'll see if they bring it when it comes to uh, Liverpool Arsenal this weekend.
1: I believe Keith Coskin will be at this game also. Uh, he's having quite a time down there.
0: Boy, well, uh, you better no. bring it then.
1: Uh, both Liverpool and Arsenal hoping to dethrone Manchester City who have won the Premier League the last three seasons. City right now are in Saudi Arabia on Friday. They will face Fluminense in the Club World Cup final. Keep in mind, the European club has won the last 10 editions of this tournament. I fully expect City to make it 11 in a row. But for what it's worth, I I tweeted this, and Fox Soccer liked it so much they retweeted it. There have been four Brazil versus England Club World Cup finals. It's 2-2. And both England wins were an extra time. So Brazilian clubs have played Premier League teams tough in this competition.
0: So you, you immediately, though, said that you, fu- that you fully expect Man City to win this game. So what, what is, how big is the disparity for, for our listeners and viewers out there when we're talking about fluminense rel- relative to, to Man City? And where does, it, where does it show up? Is it just the amount of money that they spend? Is it a cultural thing?
1: Yeah, mainly the money. Uh, I think Fluminense would be, at best, a mid-table team in the Premier League. So just to give you an idea of uh, the gap in quality. But City with just one win in their last six Premier League games entering this competition. And Holland is out due to injury. Jeremy Doku out as well. And Kevin De Bruyne had returned to training. There were some hopes he could play here, but he's been ruled out as well. So it is a shorthanded City. Maybe that uh, narrows the gap a bit.
0: Yeah, evidently, if you were not on the... Roster for the previous game, then you are ineligible. Even if you could play in in the final game here, so. But I guess it's in long term good news that De Bruyne is, I uh, you know, coming back to playing soccer, which is a uh, which is a good thing. And you know, as as important as Erlen Holland is, they still got plenty of talent and certainly enough to overcome Fluminense.
1: And a couple of quick notes on Fluminense: Marcelo is on that squad. He's looking to win this competition again. He won it a bunch of times with Real Madrid. And Fluminense is managed by Fernando Genes. The guy who is doubling up right now is Fluminense and Brazil coach. And if Ancelotti were to back out, then presumably this guy would get the Brazil job full time. And he's considered this romantic. So the hipsters are all excited about the idea of him facing Pep Guardiola in a match. So that should be interesting. Uh, To go back to the League Cup semis, uh, Sean Sullivan has informed me the draw. Middlesbrough, Chelsea, and then Liverpool versus Fulham. Those are the semifinals.
0: Ooh, Middlesbrough, Chelsea, yeah. I don't see any upsets there. Okay. What else?
1: Uh, we go to Italy where AC Milan will be away to Salernitana. Christian Pulisic, a goal or assist in each of his last four games. We'll see if we can keep that run going. In AC Milan's last match against Monza, Yunus Musa sat out with a muscle strain. We'll see if he can get back in the lineup for this. All
0: right. Uh, Yunus Musa, I mean,. So he he said he had a uh, just a muscle strain, right? It's nothing. I don't. We don't nobody has to Correct, worry about nothing it. Nothing serious. All right, good. Well, as long as he is going to be fit and around the corner, he is going to be fit. So hopefully, we get it to uh, get to see him. But I I don't expect AC Milan to have any problems with Salernitana. Do you?
1: I do not. Okay. Uh, another score in Italy to report. Uh, Sean Sullivan has just informed me that his beloved Bologna have knocked Inter Milan out of the Coppa Italia, a two-one extra time victory in the round of sixteen.
0: In the San Siro, right? That was, I think that was in Milan.
1: Correct. Wow. Wow. So Sean must be dancing in that controller.
0: Congratulations, Sean. My goodness. That's a big, big win.
1: Correct. Uh, we go to the Netherlands now, where PSV will close out their 2023 with a cup game against FC Twent. We talked about PSV last time. They're running away with the Eredivisie. They're off to the round of 16 of the Champions League where they'll face Dortmund. Ernie Stewart, the architect of all this. They have Pepe, Destin Tillman. In the squad now, there's a fourth American arriving in January, Richie Ledesma, after a loan spell with NYCFC, he returns to PSV. Plus, it sounds like Ernie Stewart is trying to sign Dest and Tillman permanently. They're only there on loan as of now.
0: I mean, look, if if you're Ernie Stewart or anybody else, you you go to the well that you know. uh, And he recognized that there was talent out there. And obviously, talent that he knows that has a relationship with, with him, and he accessed that. And in a league that is looking for, I guess, "quote unquote," deals and bargains uh, with the uh, with the talent acquisition that they're having. And so, well done, well done, Ernie Stewart. And that they have come good on the field. I think warrants this, where you you want to lock them up. And remember, you know, Serginio Dest is bummed around a bunch of but I mean, bummed around (laughs) some pretty elite teams that he has played for. So everybody has recognized his ability and, you know, notwithstanding some of the stuff that he has done this year and his, his antics, I think he is still recognized as a really, really good player. And so locking them up either because you believe that they are going to help you get to places that you haven't been or need to get back to, or again, from an asset perspective, and now Ernie Stewart is looking at it much more in terms of the numbers and the money than he was when he was working with the national team. Now you have to have that value associated. So this is just a smart business owner's part.
1: Yeah. They were recently linked with Miles Robinson. So it sounds like PSV is going to become quite the American colony over the next couple of seasons.
0: (laughs) Why do you do this? All right, go on.
1: Uh, Last thing uh, I'm going off rundown now. I, I forgot to mention this in the last pod. I do want to get it in here. Uh congratulations to Club America they won the Liga MX title they beat Tigres in the final 4-1 on aggregate across two legs it's their 14th title the most of any Mexican club uh Alex Zendejas contributing to that triumph uh the coach was a Brazilian Andre Jardine who also won the Olympic gold medal with Brazil in the last cycle uh remember this was a job that Greg Burhalter was linked to right before he was rehired by uh the US for a couple days there the story was that he was going to go to Club America But he chose to go to the U.S. instead. They hired Giardini, and they end up winning this uh, Liga Next title.
0: It was a crazy game, by the way. Did you watch any of it?
1: Yeah, the red cards. Oh, my
0: God. (laughs) It was crazy in the best possible way. It was awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome game. So much fun watching those games. All right, congratulations, Club America. Anything else? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back... We're going to give you our best of when it comes to 2023 and maybe some look into 2024 as to what we hope to see. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Tis the season to be looking back and looking forward. And in light of that, I thought, uh, you know, we'd look at some some different things that we kind of remember from this past year, Mossy. Best ofs, if you will. And some things maybe that we're looking forward into uh, 2024 when it comes to players and teams and games, and memories. So I know we got a list here. Where should we start?
1: First up, best game of 2023.
0: What do you got? How about you start it off?
1: I'm going to be cheeky here. Uh, I'm going to go with Cincinnati 3, Inter-Miami 3, U.S. Open Cup semis, Inter-Miami advanced on penalties. Uh, Given what the big topic on this podcast has been this week, I thought it would only be appropriate to pick a game from that competition. Messi leaving his mark in the oldest competition in American soccer.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And and we're trying not to duplicate too many things. Some of them just you have to. But uh, for the most part, we're trying not to duplicate things here. I know that um, when it came to this question, Sully, uh, Sean over there, our producer said that he wanted Australia versus France in the quarterfinal. And look, there, there are plenty of games and from that summer, from that World Cup that I, I could point to. So I, I think that's that's a great pick right there. But I would say, and, and again, this, this gets to your point maybe a little cheeky here in terms of best game. The U.S.-Portugal game, for those that remember, uh, U.S. women versus the Portugal uh, uh, women in uh, World Cup, group stage, third game. While the ultimate failure came against Sweden in the round of 16, in penalties, famously so, what I think is going to get lost in time is the fact that the U.S. were even lucky to get to the round of 16. And so in this moment now that we look at uh, the failure of the U.S. in in the World Cup as, you know, a real moment and come-to-Jesus type of moment for this team, and a reckoning, if you will. That game, in that moment, if you remember, Portugal hit the post, and it should have been all over. U.S. should have been out of the World Cup. And they didn't. And there seemed to be, in that moment, Mossy, I know you were there, this collective feeling that, okay, we dodged that bullet, and this is it. It wasn't great in the, in the uh, group stage. It happens. It happens. Nobody's happy with it. And then the whistle blew. The team certainly seemed relieved. And I think that's understandable from a human perspective. But I'm sitting next to Carly Lloyd, and she was not happy about that type of reaction. And again, Carly Lloyd is wired differently. I'll talk a little bit more about Carly later on the show. But I look to this game because I think it encapsulated everything that happened for this team. And I also think. That when this team is resurrected, and I think it will be, maybe as soon as next summer in the Olympics, when they come back and when they come rolling back, as I know and hope that they will, it's going to be looked back and said, hey, these were important moments. This was a moment in this game when we said, how how is this even possible that we're not, not only that we're not winning and we're not beating these types of teams but there's a good chance that, that we should have been out of this world cup and so i know i'm taking a little bit of license when it comes to the best game of 2023 but i just think it distills its down it's that game distilled everything down to its purest form and so the that was ultimately the best thing that could have happened to this team going forward in order for them to be the best that they can be and to return to be the best uh, can
1: I just say Australia France? That's a great shout. It is Sean. a great shout. Yep.
0: Uh, we've
1: covered enough World Cups to know when the host nation gets going, how that can electrify the tournament, and that was the game. Remember, Courtney Vine, the redhead, converted the winning kick, and that set off Matilda's mania. I remember leaving uh, the studio that night and walking home. You had fans dancing in the streets, and so yeah, that was a very exciting. Moment. Yeah,
0: when when Sean decided to to go with this one, I didn't want to I didn't want to steal that from him because it was you know. Uh, and so I wanted to go in a completely different type of direction. But you're absolutely right. We were there. It was, it was chilling in the best possible sense to see that. And again, the parallels to what the U.S. had gone through, you know, year, years before, and certainly in 1999, and a home team doing that. It was just it was fun to be there. and It was fun to watch, especially in the backdrop of uh, of the U.S. going out of the tournament. Uh,
1: next up, best player of 2023. Uh, I'm going with Erlen Holland. Uh, I don't think he's the best player in the world. I would say it's either still messy or if we're ready to pass the baton, then it would be either Mbappe or Bellingham. I'm not even sure Holland is the best center forward. I might give that to Harry Kane. But I do think he was the most impactful player in 2023 with all the goals he scored and helping Man City finally get over the hump and win the Champions League to complete a treble, just the second English club to win a treble after United in 1999. Uh, So I'm going to give this to Erwin Holland, despite not qualifying for the Euros with Norway.
0: Yeah, I would probably, if we're talking men's, I would probably go with, with Harry Kane. I mean, keep in mind that this is an Englishman. And I know it's only kind of a half a year type of thing, but this is still an Englishman traveling abroad. And we know the English, you know, in general, I know I'm, it's a generalization here, but they don't travel as, as well. Uh, Jude Bellingham, these types of players. But I, I, I just think what he is doing is pretty phenomenal, especially the type of Englishman he is. There's nothing really cosmopolitan about Harry Kane. And yet it seems like out of, the, out of nowhere he said, eh, I'm going to go to Germany and I'm going to score goals. And I know we've said that, that you score goals. But if I had to go with somebody here, um, and we just talked about the uh, the Women's World Cup. Uh, Beaumati, certainly I think uh, Sean Sullivan was giving us that one. And that's a, that's a, that's a no-brainer in terms of what she has done individually and obviously for Spain. But I think Linda Caicedo from Colombia was just an absolute star. Um, she was worth the price of admission. She made me care about the moment, about her, about her team going forward. I think that if she was a player on Spain or some other team, that's or the U.S. for that matter, we would look at her as even bigger and more important. So I'm going to go with uh, Caicedo. Can
1: I just say, Sean Sullivan with some inspired choices. Uh, I mean, do we need to incorporate him as a third host of this podcast?
0: Well, I mean, maybe we'll, you know, we'll bring him in every once in a while, but slow your roll, dude.
1: No, I liked all his choices. (laughs) Uh, A couple of them, I picked something different just so it wouldn't look like I was copying. Right, exactly. uh, The next one, there was no avoiding it. We all had the same thing. It's a no-brainer. Top U.S. soccer storyline heading into 2024. It has to be... Uh, How far the U.S. goes in the Copa America and what that means for Greg Berhalter's
0: future. As we said before, I think next summer will, and I think it should, determine the future of Greg Berhalter relative to this team. He has been given the benefit of the doubt. He has been given multiple chances now. And I'm not saying that it's not justified, but let's be honest, there are plenty of other coaches that would not have been given that, given what has happened over the last year. And so I think he... owes is such a weird word, but I'm going to use it. I think he owes it to this team and to American soccer to show that he is the right person to lead us into what is arguably the most important moment in history when it comes to the men's team, which is 2026. And is that unfair pressure to put on a, on a uh, individual or put onto a coach in this situation? No, I don't think it is. And yes, you have to look and give it perspective as to how ultimately, who they're playing and how it ultimately comes down. But I think there has to be a general feeling of, this was a good tournament. This was a tournament that has made me believe that this team is heading in the right direction come the final whistle for the U.S., whenever that is. At the uh, in Copa America next summer? Uh,
1: I, I praise Sean Sullivan, but I do have to make fun of him here. He, he put down, Burhalter keeps his job after a round of 16 as exit at Copa. That's a round that doesn't exist in that tournament. We go from group stage to the <laughs> quarterfinal. So that would be quite an achievement if he managed to get knocked out in the round of 16. Um, next one is most improved U.S. soccer player in 2023. Um, the guy who's had the most interesting arc is Weston McKinney. Mm-hmm. From Leeds laughingstock the first half of the year to Juventus star the second half of the year. But I'm actually going to go with Jedi Robinson. Uh, I did not think he was this good. That guy keeps getting better and better. He's one of the best left backs in the Premier League. I think next season he'll definitely end up at one of the top clubs. So uh, I'm going to go with him.
0: I Well, the only reason that I wouldn't go with Jedi is that I already thought he was really good. Okay. Now, did I think he was elite? And who knows? To your point, he may be heading in that direction when it comes to a left back position and a left back in the EPL. Um, and so that's, yeah, I'm, I, I don't want to downplay him. I don't I want to, like, I feel like I'm not, I'm shortchanging him by saying that in, in that I thought he was good all along. Now, my pick is someone that I didn't necessarily think was, it's not that he's not good. I just didn't think that there was any more necess- uh, of a ceiling there. And he has proved me and, and others wrong, so much so that this is a guy that a year ago was sitting home watching the World Cup, one of the last players not to be included on in Greg Berhalter's team. And now, as we sit here today, a year later, we talk about him on a consistent basis. And we talk about him in the context of not just challenging for the striker role, but challenging Flo Balogun, who is, for a lot of people, the anointed one. Yes, I'm talking about Ricardo Pepe. Mossy?
1: Uh, Sean went with uh, Anthony Robinson. Uh, Doug M- McIntyre, incidentally, went with Pepe for best player of 2023. He has him as the best player in the world. Uh, last... No, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we know how much Doug <laughs> loves him. Um, most disappointing U.S. soccer player. Uh, I went with Brendan Aronson. Uh, we've talked about this. Uh, it's amazing how irrelevant that guy has become. Uh, you know, we when we do our weekend previews and weekend reviews, we like to focus on the Americans, and it doesn't even occur to us to include Union Berlin in there anymore. He has zero goals and zero assists this season and doesn't even start for what's one of the worst teams in the Bundesliga. So to go from where that guy was 12 months ago and how high everybody was on him entering the World Cup to where he is today has been an incredible fall from grace.
0: So I have, I have a few here that I could pick from. Uh, by the way, Sean Sullivan has Dest. That's not one that I would pick, but I get it. There's a lot of people that are irritated, especially of late with the way that he has behaved. I, man, I'm fine with Dest. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't look at him as disappointing me when it comes to 2023. I will say when it comes to the women's side, um, Alex Morgan. And, and again, and I know this is framed in the, in the failure of the World Cup. But listen, it's a World Cup year. And so, especially for a, uh, a team like the U.S., a lot is going, to be, is going to ride on what they did in the World Cup. And she did not show up. Admittedly so. Even if you watch the documentary, she admits that, you know, that I didn't bring it. And bringing it for her is scoring goals, which is what we expect. And, and Megan Rapino, I think, would fall into that same type of uh, type of category. On the men's side, though, I think I'm going to go with, uh, with, uh, with Gio Reyna. Now, when you say that it's disappointing i'm not disappointed in him okay i'm disappointed that here we are at the end of this year and not only has he no 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 further along but in many ways we can look at it and say that he has regressed and that's disappointing because i and so many others think that he could be really, really good. And maybe he gets that move sooner rather than later, and it's on to greener pastures and a better type of situation, and 2023 is behind him. But again, this was coming off the disappointment of the World Cup, the drama off the field from the World Cup, and it never solidified and never really kicked on. And so I'm going to go with Gio Reyna as my uh, most disappointing U.S. soccer player.
1: Alex Morgan is a great call. I strongly considered going with her as well. Uh, Next up, uh, best thing we watched in 2023. I have two on the TV side. It would be Succession, one of the greatest shows of all time that had its final season and I thought stuck the landing. I'm I'm sad that uh, it's not around anymore. My relationship with Cat has taken a big hit uh, since that show went off the air. That was like 50% of our conversation. So we got to find something else to bond over. And then uh, movie wise, uh, I wrestled between. Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer, uh, it's one of those two, and I'm going to go with Killers of the Flower Moon, the Scorsese movie with DiCaprio and De Niro, which I thought was a masterpiece, outstanding.
0: So I haven't seen that yet, and so I am going to go with Oppenheimer. Um, but I, I'll be honest, 2023 wasn't wasn't great. I mean, I've, you know, you heard my thoughts about Barbie. What what a what a what a bunch of crap that was. And yet, that's in a lot of people's top tens and stuff like that. But I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Oppenheimer. Can I can I add something? Uh, And I know this is off the top of your head here, but if you had to say in 2023, a book that you read, anything?
1: Um, I've actually read a lot of great books this year. I'm going to go with uh, Spain in Our Hearts, which is um, you might recall um, late last season, Barcelona and Real Madrid got into this pissing contest about which one was the regime's team and. Uh, dating back to the days of Franco, and everybody started relitigating the Spanish Civil War, and that triggered an interest in me in that conflict. I didn't know that much about it, and so I read multiple books about the Spanish Civil War, and that was one of them. Spain in Our Hearts, it's written by this guy Adam Hochschild. I, it was absolutely outstanding. So I'll go with that as my favorite book of 2023.
0: Well, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I, that I, I guess I reread. No, um, oh, this one. Well, I guess I reread the only plane in the sky. I think I just think that that is should be required listening or reading whatever you do. And then I'll give a a plug to uh, our friend and colleague, uh, Clay Travis over there with his American playbook. And I know there's people out there that you can agree or disagree with his politics ultimately, but there's some real heart in this book, uh, including, you know, a, a ending that as strange as it may be for those that you uh, (laughs) who know, Clay Travis was incredibly emotional uh, and personal and honest in the way that he talked about Uh, The country and the family and sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. So uh, those are a couple of uh, things that uh, stand out. It's hard, Mossy. This year going forward, remind me to to keep a list and to write stuff down, especially when I really, really like it, so that I have this come the end of next year uh, and it's a little easier to access. Because a lot of this stuff just kind of comes in and out my little brain.
1: Can we get your mother's picks for Best Thing She Watched in 2023, both movies and TV?
0: Yeah, we can definitely do that. Would you like to? Absolutely, I, yeah. I can Just ask you me an email about okay, that. Okay, yeah. Yep. They're probably going to coincide with a lot of your picks. Yep.
1: Uh, lastly, uh, Dream Summer of Soccer matchup. Uh, Sean Silva and I have the same one. I'm going to go with USA-Brazil in the Copa America. You know, in these six years we've been doing this pod, the only USA-Brazil game was this nothing friendly in 2018 at Giant Stadium at the Meadowlands. Brazil won 2-0. Two, two uh, this was during that Dave Sarakin period where the U.S. was still in there, like, missing the World Cup doldrums, so it didn't mean much of anything. <laughs> uh, but it would be interesting to have those two meet in the knockout stages of a Copa America. They're in the same side of the bracket. We would have a lot of fun with that here on the pod. We might make some sort of wager. Maybe if if the U.S. wins, I, I wear a U.S. jersey if Brazil wins, I get your paycheck for a month or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. Hey, um, but so, uh, yeah, so I'll go with that. Uh, by the way, some some breaking news the last couple of days. Uh, Neymar out of the Copa America. It's been yes. confirmed. We thought there might be, might have been a chance, but there isn't. And we still don't know who's going to be coaching Brazil at the Copa America. So we're waiting to see on that. That's one of the big stories in world football, I think, in 2024, what's going to happen with Ancelotti, go to Brazil, or stay at Real Madrid.
0: Now, so your your dream matchup, you fully admit that it's relative to your Brazilian background, right? That this this matchup here.
1: Yeah, and and relative to the relative to this podcast, I just think it'd be fun. We'd have a lot of fun. Oh, with
0: that. okay, all right, but but you you would also admit that the U.S. Argentina with Messi in his backyard, World Cup champions, all that kind of stuff would generate more buzz.
1: Absolutely. Okay, that is it. the that is the dream final for that tournament. Sure. You know, yeah, a couple yeah, of yeah. others I thought about. Uh, Fran- I'd love to see a France-England final at the Euros. I think those are the two best European national teams right now. And also, I'd love to see a USA-Spain-Olympic women's final, although Spain has to qualify first. Uh, they play I think it's the Netherlands in, in uh, February, and if they win that they, they qualify for the Olympics. But that would be fun with Spain now being atop the mountain and Emma Hayes and the US trying to recapture the throne. So there's a lot of fun possibilities in various tournaments next summer.
0: I would, look, it. U.S.-Mexico never gets old for me. And to have a U.S.-Mexico game in Copa America in the United States a couple years before the World Cup, the only thing that would be better is in a World Cup, and obviously we have seen that before. And if if you're doing a hierarchy of tournaments, I would put Copa America above Gold Cups because we've seen the U.S.-Mexico rivalry happen in Gold Cup. But for it to happen in this upper echelon now or higher level of a copa america and by the way it has happened even back in 1995 uh we ended up beating them in uh down in Paysandu, uruguay in uh penalties so it has happened uh, before i just think that that it's it's just always wonderful and again the whole dos a zero thing um will continue on but but who knows a a copa america matchup in the u.s in the summer of 2024. That would give the uh, L Tree fans some incredible ammunition if they were to find a way to beat the U.S. and Greg uh, and Greg Berhalter. All right. Anything else, right, Moss? There, there you have it. Nope. Okay. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Okay. Welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show when you send in comments, questions, and concerns out there on all the social media platforms. Keep in mind that our handle is S-O-T-U with Alexi or... You can call our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. And listen, if you're out there and you're on uh, Apple, um, please follow and subscribe either on Apple or on Spotify. We love Apple uh, out there, and we love our friends over there at Spotify. But you can ask those questions on all of the different platforms that we have out there. So not just your, I guess, what would be traditional ones or the ones that you're used to. You never know. You never know. You never know where we're where we're taking these things from. Mossy, what do we got?
1: Uh, First up, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Drew Swadley from Oklahoma City. You were in charge of all American
0: soccer leagues in the United States. You were in charge of all of them. How would you introduce relegation? maybe one league at a time, maybe just combine them all and start with the lowest is, you know, division five or whatever. If you were in charge of all of them, how would you introduce relegation if you were in charge? Thanks. Ooh, Drew from Oklahoma. You're putting me in charge. I am the uh, soccer czar for a day or who knows, maybe even more. All right. I like it. I like it. Okay. So first things first, things first. Uh, I, you know, and I talked a little bit about this on the uh, on the previous pod, but. 2026 is coming, and so I want people, entities, you know, uh, everyone out there, to not just recognize the opportunity, but to grab a hold of it. I want big and bold things done leading up to 2026. If we're not going to do it now, then when the hell are we going to do it, right? And so, you know, I have suggested that MLS, from an acquisition standpoint, look to, strategically, acquire USL. And so I think the first thing that I would do is that. You know, expanding the footprint, as we've talked about, and bringing everything and everybody, maybe more importantly, under one tent, all right? So that everybody is kind of rowing in the same direction we talked at the beginning of the show how that's not the case necessarily right now now look there's still some boats out there that will be rowing either slower uh, and smaller or rowing in the absolute opposite direction but nothing the way it is now if and when you were to bring usl into the house now that doesn't necessarily do what you are asking czar lawless to do so you have to look at it and say all right well what 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 needs to be done from a promotion relegation standpoint to satisfy all of the, the stakeholders, I guess you could call them, and the new stakeholders, let's be honest, because there's all of these, these, new, these new teams. Now, who knows? Maybe you buy it lock, stock, and barrel, and all the owners are gone, and it's just MLS operating it going forward. I don't know. Or maybe you bring everybody in, everybody sells, and... Uh, then they sell off the teams to new owners, these new USL teams uh, teams that they have. But when it comes to promotion relegation, you can, as you said, maybe you start with uh, one of the leagues uh, or one section of the leagues that you acquired in the terms of USL. I've already said that I think USL, regardless if it's acquired by MLS or not, should do it. And they have talked about that and certainly looked at it. And again, there is nothing stopping anybody else out there from going and implementing a, prom- a promotion relegation structure okay getting a bunch of teams getting a bunch of leagues together and having promotion relegation and in essence that's what you would be that's what you would be doing but because what you're really doing is giving a grace period to the existing mls owners that all bought into this with the understanding that there was not going to be the risk of relegation whether you agree with it or not that's what the purchase was premised on And you have to walk that back. And so what you're going to have to do, like I said, is give a grace period, some sort of grandfathered type of moment, whether that's two years, three years. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it leads up to 24. And as soon as 24 is done, it's back on. Now, again, this is an intra-MLS type of promotion relegation that you are having here. So a lot of people will feel that that's a bastardized version of it. But to your point, maybe you start it with the acquisition that you have just in the USL teams, the former, I guess it would be former USL teams that you have. And you see how that goes for a couple of years. And MLS still operates in and of itself and alone in terms of relegation, but it's still under the whole MLS thing. And then I guess, you know, all bets are off and the, the, the gate opens up and this panacea and this magic bullet that everybody seems to believe that promotion relegation is exists and again I know it's not in the most purest form that a lot of people want out there but that is something that is something that that I would do and and again the this acquisition it smothers i don't know if it puts it out but it certainly smothers a lot of the acrimony a lot of well, from a practical perspective some of the uh potential lawsuits and, and problems that we have out there. And everybody starts heading again in that, uh, in that right direction. So the, again, as always, the biggest problem is going to be, how do you convince somebody that bought into the league without the fear of, uh, of relegation and without the risk of relegation to voluntarily accept that risk? And the, re- the way that you do that is to make it worth their while. And when I say that, I mean money. So yes, I'm going to accept more risk, but I'm going to have more upside, not just when I'm successful, but by giving to this entity that I'm now involved with by saying, okay, I will forego uh, that that risk that I mitigated by uh, years ago when I bought into it. And I will allow you to now add that upon because I know ultimately I'm going to make more money even with that that risk of relegation. I don't know, Mossy, what do you think? Anything?
1: Uh, about you becoming the czar of uh, American society? Well, I know, I know you're not your a, you're on board
0: that. with that, but.
1: but... You were doing a lot of arguing on Twitter the last couple of days. What was this passion purity test thing? Do you want to get into that at all?
0: Yeah, I would actually. You know, that's that's interesting that you brought that up. It's not it's not necessarily on our rundown here, but, and this is kind of an evergreen type of thing. But there you know there were people out there that were they, they if someone was I was going back and forth about what is a fan, what isn't a fan, and I guess more importantly, what is a passionate soccer fan and what isn't a passionate soccer fan. And let's be honest, there's a lot of people out there that immediately equate passion with you know tradition and history. And there's, you know, there's a guy named Matt Cameron, I think he said, uh, let me see if I can read this right. Uh, to deny that the game means more, in parentheses, people are more passionate about, in Europe compared to America is silly. Well, Matthew, if that's silly, then call me city. silly because, you know, passion for a game, any game, let's be honest, any sport, is subjective. And we can find it everywhere in the world and expressed in a multitude of ways. And I don't know what Matt's passion purity test entails, but mine, as like I said, it isn't relative to history, or to size, or, I don't know, singing, or in, in some instances, um, violence relative to a sport, or you know, political association relative to all the different things that we often point to to show how passionate people are, all right? Just because you're a moron, just because you're dumb, just because you do stupid things or mean things or things that are wrong, that has nothing to do with passion. And that doesn't make you any more passionate about the game. And you can find somebody that is as passionate, who knows, maybe even more passionate, in the United States relative to their domestic teams, whether it's, you know, insert team, Philadelphia. LA. The list goes on and on and on. Whether it's a USL team, whether it's an MLS team, whether it's an NWSL team. And they can be just as passionate as somebody over there in the quote, cradle. And with all the tradition and the history of a European league. And you can find somebody over in Asia who is as big a fan as anybody even thousands and thousands of miles away of whatever club it is that you want relative to somebody that grew up on the doorstep of the stadium and living day in and day out in the country or the city or the village of that club. And I just think that it's um I think that it's I think that it's wrong, but I don't think that it's helpful to try to say that me or anybody else is any less of a fan or has any less passion for the game because I or somebody else doesn't show it and display it in the way that you do or the way that you feel true passionate fans act. Uh,
1: Speaking of Asia, that leads nicely into our next uh, question, which is on X. Uh, Steve Toto asks, uh, J-League changing soccer calendar to line up with European calendar Will MLS ever follow?
0: Um, I mean, I guess from a technological standpoint, if and when there are more roofed, roofed or roofed, whatever, you know, stadiums with roofs, then maybe that could happen. But again, you know, trying to sell, I mean, we just talked about the Bundesliga that takes six weeks off. and. It It is a little apples and oranges. Not a little. It's very much apples and oranges. Okay, because everybody says, well, you just change it whatever. Well, it is a very crowded sports field, especially when you're not king like soccer isn't. And so you're trying to find the best period of the year to play when you have not no conflicts because that's impossible, but when you have the least amount of conflicts. And whether it's conflicts from a competitive standpoint in other leagues and sports, or it's conflicts... Because of ge- geography and weather and all that kind of stuff, you know that's a real problem. So it's easy to say, all right, boom, and maybe in my czar capacity, I could do something like that. Okay, fine. So as the czar, I say, boom, we're changing immediately right now. It solves some problems out there to be on the schedule that everybody else is okay, but it also creates new ones, especially from a practical uh, perspective on the ground in terms of making money for uh, for these clubs. So. Uh, will it follow I th- I think I don't know if it happens in my lifetime I don't think it's happening anytime soon That would actually Constitute a big bold move Masi. So that would fulfill What I'm asking for when it comes to big bold moves And that's something That could kind of You could do it And it's not a complete colossal Change But it can be marketed and branded as that. And I'm not saying it's inconsequential by any stretch of the imagination. I just argued how important it would be. But that's a little different than buying USL.
1: Uh, incidentally, the Bundesliga gets a three-week break. They'll be back January 12th. Um, but uh, you know, Japan has always been a fascinating country to compare to the US because they started really investing in soccer at around the same time as the US. The J-League started in the early 90s. Uh, the national team results Uh, have been pretty similar to the U.S. as Japan has been into the last seven World Cups. They've gotten to the knockout stage four times. The U.S. since 1998 World Cup appearances, five knockout stage trips, including one to the quarterfinals, which Japan has never been. Uh, They've each been runners-up at a Confederations Cup, Japan in 2001, uh, the U.S. in uh, 2009. So, you know, it's an interesting compare and contrast as soccer nations. Um, Japanese clubs have actually fared reasonably well in the Club World Cup. That's something that MLS hasn't really achieved yet. Uh, But nevertheless, yeah, seeing Japan make this move to the European calendar, it did get my attention. It did get me thinking about MLS as well.
0: But when it it comes to relevance, Mossy, when was the last time you heard the J-League mentioned in casual conversation of soccer people?
1: No, no, it's it's funny because when they started out, they kind of went for the aging star Zico, the great Brazilian legend. Uh, went there and helped get the J-League off the ground. And they they really went the Brazilian path those early years, but Beto played down there, Dunga, Jorginho, Leonardo, a lot of the guys you faced in 94. Um, but uh, since then, they've gone away from that. And so, yeah, that, that league clearly lacks the star power uh, that MLS does. And, yeah, if I was ranking leagues around the world, that would clearly put MLS above the J-League.
0: Got it. Got it. But there are a lot of people that point to the J-League and say, hey, why aren't we doing this? Um, and I'm not I'm not saying that, that Steve Toto over here is... is is. Uh, is saying that who, oh, who knows he might be but uh, yeah i don't think it's happening anytime soon when it comes to the key uh, the calendar uh, calendar change uh what else Mossy? anything else uh last one
1: another question on x uh chris a asks have you done your christmas shopping yet
0: i have it, it, i don't know if uh, those of you out there share this story with me I, I feel like it's a common type of christmas thing where you have this moment with your significant other where you look at each other and say, we're not going to do it this year. We're, we're not going to do it. All right. We're not going to. I actually had this. son an epiphany. I just, <laughs> I was, I cleaned out my, uh, some, uh, some closets, including my son's closet and the amount of things. And I, I know he's growing and everything like, but the amount of things when it comes to clothes that he was given that he just didn't wear or he grew out of immediately. And I looked at it as such a waste of Money. And I know it comes from a good place, and the, the act of giving a present in and of itself has value. I, I understand that. But so you have this moment where you say, We're not going to do it again. We're not going to waste money. We're just going to have a few select presents and all that kind of stuff. And then you get with family and you get into the spirit and the thing and the, this and that. So that's a long way of saying, Yeah, I've, I've done my Christmas shopping. I still got a little bit more to do. I, I always try to do the, the less is more approach. And it never ends up working like that. So guilty. Yeah, yeah, I have this fantasy about just giving one or two gifts. And they're special gifts. It's exactly what the person wants. And everybody ends up being happy. And that's a little Scrooges too. Because as I said before, the whole act of giving presents and and being there is is part of it. It's not just the actual presents. And I have to remind myself. How about you, Mossy? You still got anything to do?
1: I, I bought expensive gifts for the whole staff at the State of the Union podcast. When I'm back in LA, I'll be giving that to them.
0: Nice. Nice. That's a, that's a good I'm tease. I'm joking, of course. Good te- <laughs> I didn't do that. I wanted them to tease oh, them. Oh, wow. Like you should have seen second. them. They were all up and running around yeah. and shouting. And Man, oh, man. All right. Uh, anything else from an Ask Alexi perspective? That's it. All right. Remember to keep asking over there on the uh, the Apple machine and uh, subscribe on Apple and Spotify and all the different places. and. Send in your questions and comments and concerns, 657-549-2297. Let's take another quick break and we'll wrap this show up and uh, with uh, one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. Uh, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. I started thinking Mossy because it is the season. I started to think about, you know, breaking bread and, and meals. And while we just talked a little bit about gift giving, which is certainly a big part of this season, um, I think much more important is Being with family, being with friends, and a lot of that is focused around eating and a communal type of experience. And so I started to think, all right, if I was going to have a Christmas party relative to people in the American soccer scene out there, who would I invite? And you know, strategically, how would I go about picking these? And obviously, we're a soccer show, so we said, let's do let's do eleven. And so these are my 11 invitees to my Christmas dinner now i have been very very careful and like i said strategic about picking these people number 1 megan rapino now you may say megan rapino that's a that's a strange invite we don't necessarily share a lot when it comes to the way that we think about the world, and certainly we differ in, in politics and many other things. Uh, I have disagreed with her publicly over the years. I've also said that uh, I will fight to my last breath to defend Megan Rapino uh, and the freedom uh, to say the things that she says, even when I disagree with them, even when they are what I may look at as wrong. Um, but she's fearless. She is provocative in the things that she says. And if I'm at a dinner table, I want somebody interesting. I want somebody with um, interesting backgrounds and, like I said, interesting things to say. I don't want to just sit around and everybody look at each other and agree with each other. And, you know, even though I disagree with Megan Rapino on a lot of different things, um, I do find her interesting. And I find her compelling. And I got a feeling that uh, at the dinner table, we'd have a good time. We'd go away still with disagreements, but we would ultimately have a good time. Uh, Carly Lloyd, our good friend and colleague, Carly Lloyd. We know she certainly speaks her mind. And she's another one that I think is uh, very different than Megan Rapino. Now, the seating chart, I haven't gotten into that, but, you know, what we'll, we'll figure that as we, as we go along. I often get up and move during meals of Big Tables, so I'm not sitting next to the same person all the time, and I would kind of have that rotating cast. Uh, so the great Carly Lloyd would be there. Um, Greg Berhalter, uh, the man of the, uh, I guess, the year. We just finished talking about what an important year it has been. And look, I would love to be able to pick his brain about how this past year has gone uh, for him, both in terms of his coaching and uh, everything else that has happened with him. Our good friend, Eric Winalda. I mean, he is a lightning rod. He is a firecracker. Uh, I guarantee at some point he would say something that got people to scream and yell and stand up. Let's see. Um, Now, I mentioned that Greg Berhalter would be there. So, this is not just a grenade-dropping type of exercise. This isn't to get people to either dislike each other or to further dislike each other. This is actually an attempt to bring people together, to unite people, to at the very least for a night, come together, break bread, have some drinks, have some fun, and even try to work out, potentially so that when they leave, there's a better positive relationship. So I'm going to go with Claudio Reyna at the table. Now, again, the seating chart is going to be interesting going forward. I went back and forth between Bruce Serena and Claudio Reyna, but I am thinking I'm going to go with Claudio Reyna there. Then Don Garber, the commissioner of, of MLS. I'm a little worried that he's going to pull his punches. I'm a little worried that he's not going to, you know, get into the spirit of it. You know, he's, he's very guarded at times and I and would I worry about that, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Julie Ehrman over there from uh, Angel City. Uh, I love her because, again, she is fearless. She is interesting in the way that she thinks about not just her team, not just NWSL, not just women's soccer, but soccer and life and America and all that kind of stuff. And she does not suffer fools. (laughs) And it would be fun to see her in a conversation. The great Jim Curtin, the coach of Philadelphia Union. I just think that when he talks, he talks with such clarity and such honesty about Not just soccer, but about life. And that's something that, unfortunately, we don't have enough of in our world. So I would have Jim Curtin. Max Bretos. Now, that might be a surprise to some of you. For those that don't know, Max Bretos uh, is a legendary at this point broadcaster out there, has worked for Fox, uh, has worked for ESPN, uh, now does plenty of MLS, including uh, heavily associated with uh, LAFC. He's a former uh, actor. Um, and just an incredible personality and a really fun dude. And I want this, I want this meal to be fun, Mossy. I want this to be a fun time. Max Bretos, Shep Messing, because I want I want a perspective from somebody who's been around. That's a that's a nice way of calling him older. But he's not just older, he's older and smart. And so having him to provide some context and, like I said, some perspective on a lot of the conversations that we're probably going to have, whether it's on soccer. Or hell, whether it's on his alma mater, Harvard, or anything else out there, he would be fun to have. And then Merritt Paulson, for for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is I'm going to get him and Eric Winalda to come together and uh, and have a drink and to discuss their uh, their problems going forward. And again, I could draw lines on a lot of these people to problems that they may have with each other or disagreements that they have, but in this moment... In this year and with this particular dinner, I'm hoping that when we are done, everybody leaves with a at least a more positive view on somebody, either because they just haven't spent a lot of time with them, or maybe they sorted it out going forward. I guess that's what I want want to leave you with: is that, you know, we we as American soccer, we fight, and I talk about the soccer wars, and a lot of it is BS. And a lot of it is unnecessary. And a lot of it, like I said, is exhausting. And it doesn't mean that we can't disagree. It doesn't mean we can't vehemently disagree. But we are all in this together. We all have different ways that we want to go about it. But we all are in this together. And the only way to maximize this, both on and off the field going forward, and it's not just about 2026, but everything else, is to find a way to push in the right direction. And we're always going to have, you know, challenges along the way. But I just feel, as American soccer, we're not heading forward with the speed and with the clarity that we need. And that makes me sad at times. But I don't think that it's unfixable. And and who knows, maybe this Christmas dinner we would come out with a newfound respect and a newfound love and appreciation for those that maybe we disagree with. And maybe we've come to an agreement or maybe we've just agreed to disagree, but we've done it with respect, like I said, and civility. And unfortunately, there's not enough of that. So here's hoping that whatever Christmas or holiday meal you have, uh, that it's with people that you respect, that you love. And even if it's not, Hopefully at the end of the meal, you will have come to some sort of accord uh, that leads you to at least respect. And uh, and who knows, maybe even have a fun time with someone that you never realized you would. So that's my Christmas dinner. Mossy, anything before we go?
1: Uh, you've done this before in the pod. You dropped another Voltaire quote in speaking about Megan Rapino. I disapprove of what you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it.
0: Yeah, Although I've said that, said that about, multiple times. You know, there's I some mean, debate
1: about whether Voltaire actually said that. Um, as for your list, uh, I've had Thanksgiving dinner at Eric Winalda's house, and he is a great dinner companion. So that, that's a very good call right there. I do wonder, as you said, seating arrangement crucial here. What would be the most awkward combo? Is it Rapino Lloyd, <laughs> Winalda Merritt Paulson, or Burhalter Reina? Three different options there.
0: There's a lot of different. And then there's stuff that we don't even know about. Uh, that that exists right underneath you know, and winalda and garber and, i mean winalda 's got a lot of tentacles coming out for, <laughs> 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 now I, and i and like I said, I would drop in and, and go back and forth and again i not, i don 't i i at times look I enjoy poking and prodding and you know dropping some bombs here or here or there, but I do want people to have fun, I do want people to to talk, and I do want people to be excited and interested in what's happening, whether they whether they agree with it or not. All right, my friend, listen, we got a, uh, a really cool show for you na- uh, next week, and that is our talk with uh, the great Thomas Rangan. And uh, the folks around here, the men and women behind the scenes here are still talking about <laughs> this interview that we did with uh, with Thomas Rangan, and it'll show up in your feed. And it, <laughs> it is something, for those that don't know, he is... A legend in american soccer he's seen it both on and off the field and he talks about a lot of different things including um his uh his new movie that he has out um that uh opens you know just right around christmas time so if you want to take the family to see that that would be uh, that would be something so look for that in your feed and that's fun mossy anything before we go
1: I just want to say Happy New Year to everybody back there in L.A. It works on the pod. Uh, the next time I see you guys, it'll be 2024. Uh, the next time I see you guys, I'll either be in a very good mood because Michigan will have advanced the national championship game or I'll be in a very depressed mood and I'll take it out on Jack. Uh, so we'll see what happens.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, good luck to your Wolverines as uh, as they go forth uh, and try to win the, uh, the national championship. Yeah, we'll be back in 2024. We appreciate everything Uh and all the time that you spend with us, it is a uh, a labor of love. And this little thing, as we say time and time again, has grown to such a awesome and big thing. But the size of it is relative to everybody that is you know, watching and, and listening and, like I said, downloading and rating and doing all the different things, uh, things that you do. And we are humble, But uh, we love to do this and we can't wait to get started in 2024. Bigger and better in 2024 for the State of the Union podcast. Until then, and as always, my friends, ho, 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 and size the day.